We read the Word of God this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We come to the Heidelberg Catechism's explanation of the preaching. And 1 Timothy 4 is one of the important passages that speaks of preaching. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, we'll read the whole chapter. This is the Word of God. And notice how it begins. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou, and now this is Paul speaking to Timothy, remember, Paul is teaching this young preacher saying, if you, Timothy, put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of the life that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth. That's an indication that Timothy was a young preacher. Verse 12, let no man despise thy youth, Paul tells Timothy, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. That's the reading of the Holy Scripture. I call your attention to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25 this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to begin Lord's Day 25 today and then in a number of weeks continue Lord's Day 25. Next Sunday morning is the sacrament of baptism. Following Sunday morning is the installation of your new pastor. And then I'm not sure of the schedule, but I know I have two, I believe two other Sunday mornings 
that I'll preach when Reverend Guy Kalari believes on vacation, and then we'll come back to Lord's Day 25. I want to make a beginning this morning in this section of the Catechism that asks in question 65, since then we are made partakers of Christ and all His benefits by faith only, whence doth this faith proceed? That is, where does faith come from? That's the question. Where does faith come from? The answer, from the Holy Ghost, who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. 66, what are the sacraments? And now I ask you to pay attention to not so much the sacraments, but the word that both preaching and sacraments speak to us. What does the preaching say? It's the same thing that the sacraments say. So pay attention in 66 and 67 especially to what the word and sacraments say. 66, what are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed to God for this end, that by the use thereof He may the more fully declare. Pause. The preaching has declared something. The sacraments need more fully to declare something. But let's see what they both declare. That He may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise, there it is, the promise of the gospel. Namely, that He grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. 67 are both Word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed, for the Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon that one sacrifice of Christ which He offered for us on the cross. 68, how many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant or Testament? Two, namely Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. I think you understand the importance of seeing the connection between Lord's Days and the logical flow from Lord's Day to Lord's Day. Remember, the big picture of the Catechism begins with a statement that we are in misery unless we may be saved, for which we show gratitude. That's the three parts of the catechism, misery, salvation, and gratitude. The catechism establishes our misery by saying that apart from the grace of God, we're dead in sins, unable to be saved at all. We need salvation. God provides, the second part of the catechism says, that salvation for us through Christ and Christ alone And the beginning of that second section in Lord's Day 7 says that salvation comes to us through faith. Through faith. The pipeline that connects us to the living Lord Jesus is faith. And then the whole middle section of the catechism, we're finished with that now, almost, define what faith is. Now we come to the question... If faith is so important, where does faith come from? It's very simple. We are dead 
unless we are saved, salvation is by faith. We've seen the definition of faith, certain knowledge and assured confidence of everything God puts in His Word as it applies to me. Faith is so important, it's the only connection between us and the living Lord Jesus. Now comes the question, where then does faith come from? And the answer is, God gives faith as a gift. So the Catechism says, it's from the Holy Ghost who works faith in our hearts. Faith is not something we manufacture, though faith is something in which we are very active. Faith is not a gift parents give to their children or preachers to the congregation or teachers to their students. Faith is the gift of God and through His Holy Spirit. That's the painful experience that we parents, ministers, elders, and school teachers and all the rest have when someone doesn't believe. That is, they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't want to trust in Him. And we parents may plead and cajole and warn and threaten and call, but we can't give them faith. And the preacher and the elders understand that too. Someone goes wayward, they visit, they bring the Word, they call them to repentance and faith, and they don't believe. And we need to remember that work as we may, pray as we must, faith is a gift of God through the Holy Spirit. But we already knew that because Lord's Day 7 taught that. When we came to Lord's Day 7 way back at the beginning of the second section, Lord's Day 7 taught that faith is a gift of God. And we looked at Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10. You're saved by grace through faith and that is a gift of God. Now we have to ask the question, having established the truth that the Holy Spirit gives that gift, how does He give that gift? And the answer is by using two tools. The one tool is the preaching, and the other subordinate tool is the sacraments. The preaching is the instrument by which the Holy Ghost works faith. There it is in the Catechism. Where does faith proceed from? From the Holy Ghost who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms faith by the use of the sacraments. The very important Lord's Day we come to, the Catechism betrays its historical origins here And we would write the catechism a little bit differently today if we were to write it because we are not in a controversy with the Roman Catholics any longer. That is, it's not front and center about the sacraments. But in the time of the Reformation, there was no controversy about the preaching, although preaching was on a down, uh, a decline in the Roman Catholic Church. No one was arguing about the preaching And that's why the preaching has only a half of a sentence given to it. And the sacraments have lengthy Lord's Days all the way through Lord's Day 30 and 31. 26, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. All about the sacraments because there was debate in the time of the Reformation with the Roman Catholics on the one side 
about the sacraments and the Lutherans on that same side about the sacraments and the Baptists on the other side about the sacrament of baptism. And that's going to be very important instruction that Reverend Geichelar will give to you, God willing, as he takes up his work in the catechism. But I want to take a couple of sermons and explain at length from 1 Timothy 4 and other passages like it, the importance of the preaching, the preaching. So the theme of the sermon this morning is the preaching is the Holy Spirit's tool to work faith. Preaching, the Holy Spirit's tool to work faith. Let's look at the preaching, a brief uh, explanation of the preaching, then the proof and some explanation of those proofs, and then in the third place at the very end, the calling that we have. If we know that the preaching is the Holy Spirit's main tool to work faith in us and our children, what is our calling in respect to it? So preaching, the Holy Spirit's tool to work faith, the preaching, the proof, and the calling. There are two tools, the main tool, the preaching, and what we may call the subordinate tool, the lesser important but still important tool of the sacraments. We give priority because the Word of God gives priority to the preaching. Now, the catechism does that too, and it does that in two ways. In the first place, by mentioning preaching first, and the sacrament second. You always mention what's most important first. And then by giving a different word to what the preaching does as compared to what the sacraments do. The preaching works faith, that is, creates faith. The sacraments confirm faith or bolster what's already there. And that shows the importance of preaching too. We need faith worked, and then we need faith confirmed. Preaching works faith, sacraments confirm faith. Now, that distinction between preaching and the sacraments, giving priority to the preaching, brings up some of that history of the Reformation. In the time of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church reversed the order. The Roman Catholic Church gave priority to the sacraments. The Roman Catholic Church put that sacrament and that sacrament in the middle, in the forefront. And so every time they worshiped, they wanted especially that sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And the Reformers, based on the Scripture, said, no, it's not the sacraments that are at the center, it's the preaching that's at the center. And so when you look, children, up here at the pulpit area, you'll notice that front and center is the pulpit. And that's a symbolic act of ours to show the importance of the word preached. And we put the word that you see off to the sides. If anyone ever proposes to you that they take the pulpit and move it off to the side to put something else front and center, then you ought to oppose that movement because 
It's not just symbolic, but we show that in our activity too. The main work of the church of Jesus Christ is preaching. We give priority to that. Most of the service is the explanation and the application of the word. So the historical circumstances show, number one, over against the Roman Catholics, we prioritize the preaching of the word. But at the same time, we don't underestimate the importance of the sacraments. And there is raised the other opponent of the Reformers at the time of the Reformation called the Anabaptists. Their descendants today are the Baptists. The Anabaptists looked at the sacraments and emptied them of their power. They said the sacraments are not, what's the word, Uh, means of grace, but that they're uh, ordinances. The Anabaptists didn't believe that there's power in the sacraments. And so you have in the Belgian Confession, Lord's Day 33, this statement, by means of the sacraments, God works in us by the power of the Holy Ghost. And therefore, the signs are not in vain or insignificant so as to deceive us. They had their sights on the Anabaptists who said that that's just a picture, and that too, with no power. And we remind ourselves, and we'll come to that, God willing, in a, in a month or two, in Lord's Day 26, that baptism, 1 Peter 3 says that, saves us. Baptism has a saving power for the people of God. The preaching of the gospel does, but so do the sacraments. And we'll explain how they save us in a moment, but just establish that truth to begin with. Well, let me explain that for a moment. Why is it that the preaching is a saving power? Because the preaching of the gospel is the Word of God, and the Word of God is a saving power. Just as in the very beginning God spoke and it was done, He commanded and it stood fast. Out of nothing came something by God speaking. So also today when God speaks, and that underlines the importance of the minister following the Scripture when he preaches, he doesn't give you his opinion, he explains God's Word. In the preaching of the Word, God is speaking And God creates faith in you by that power. Well, in the sacraments, God is speaking too. Except He's speaking not to your ears primarily, but to your eyes. But it's still the Word of God there in the sacraments that you see. And in the preaching, the Word of God that you hear. And so Augustine, even in the early 300s, in the early Christian church, said that the sacraments are the visible Word of God of God. So the catechism doesn't define preaching, but it does say a lot about preaching when it describes the sacraments. So I want to call your attention to questions 66 and 67 again for just a moment. The scripture and the catechism make plain what The preaching is. The preaching is appointed by God to declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. 
gospel is good news. The gospel comes to you in the form of a promise, and that's the business of the man who stands behind this pulpit to declare to you the promise of God. What's the content of that promise? This, that God grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. The central message in the preaching needs to be Jesus Christ and is. And the center of the life and death of Jesus Christ is the cross. And the benefit of the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ is the remission of sins and everlasting life. That's the business of the man who stands behind the pulpit to tell you about these things. And then in the question, 67, there's as much in the question as in the answer. The Word is ordained for this end, to direct our faith to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation. The business of the man who stands here is to tell you don't look elsewhere for forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. That's the work of the preacher. Are they ordained for that? Yes. The Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel. And that tips the hand of the catechism that preaching is teaching. We'll come back to that in a moment too. Teaches us that the whole of our salvation depends upon the one sacrifice of Christ that he offered for us on the cross. That's the preaching. Now, I want to show from the Bible, and now this is the second point, the proof, and then explain at length these passages, three different passages. One of them that we read this morning, but let's begin at Romans chapter 10. Three passages that teach the importance and power of the preaching. In Romans 10, the Apostle Paul is teaching the church at Rome that if you want to be saved, you need to trust Jesus. But you're never going to trust Jesus unless you hear Jesus speak to you, and you'll never hear Jesus speak to you unless you have a preacher who preaches. And that's the simple logic of Romans 10. You want to be saved, you need to hear Jesus in order to trust in Jesus, and you won't hear Jesus without a preacher. In the middle of that chapter in verse 9, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The subject is being saved. You want to be saved? Listen to what Paul says in Romans 10. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? The man that stands behind this pulpit must tell you about Jesus, call you to faith in him and repentance prior to faith. And the man that stands behind this pulpit may not stand here unless he's sent. He needs to be sent by the church, not just any member of the congregation is a preacher. Romans 10 says that the beautiful feet of those that preach the gospel are the feet of those who are sent. 
Romans 10, 13 to 15. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle establishes that same truth. The very beginning of this book, the apostle Paul says at the middle of chapter 1, something about the fighting that was going on in the congregation. These people followed one preacher, those people another, and these claimed to follow Jesus Christ, and these said they're followers of Paul. And Paul said to them, I wasn't crucified for you. I didn't die and merit salvation for you. Why are you a follower of me? Follow Jesus Christ. And then, in a very interesting section, Paul says, I thank God that I didn't even baptize any of you, lest you think that I baptized in my own name. And then in a part of the scripture that I see some, may we call humor, Paul says, I didn't baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. And yes, I baptized also the household of Stephanus, and besides that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. In other words, I'm covering myself in case I have bad memory of who I all baptized. Now, that makes me smile. But the main point is, Paul says, I didn't come to baptize because I didn't want any of you to think that you must follow me. I came to be the friend of the bridegroom and to point all your attention to the Lord Jesus. Look at Him. Because we preach Christ crucified. The power of God. The wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified. Which is the power and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Romans 10 1 Corinthians 1, both establish the important truth that preaching is the tool to save people, to work faith in us, to unite us to the living Lord Jesus Christ and all of His blessings. Now, the passage we read this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 4, is just as important as these. Paul, remember, and now young people, remember this especially, Paul is writing to a newly ordained preacher. Maybe he's 20 years old. Maybe he's 25 years old. He's a young man. He grew up in a broken home. His father was not a believer. His mother was a believer. And his mother and his grandmother taught him the Christian faith. This young man became a preacher. And now Paul is giving instructions to this preacher. You received the authority to preach, Paul says, by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, that is, the body of elders laid hands on you. That's ordination. And that confirms what Paul said in Romans 10, that you mayn't preach except you're sent. He reminds us of that here. Not any of you may stand behind this pulpit unless all of you have called him, as you did Reverend Geichelar, and the elders put him in that position. Paul makes that same point here. Now, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the teaching. Continue in them, because in doing this, you'll save yourself and you'll save those who hear you. Now, you notice I changed one word. Doctrine, I changed to teaching because it means teaching. We'll come back to that too. 
But Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, be about your work. And your work is this, take heed to yourself. That is, be upright in your conduct and the example you give to the congregation, lest you be an offense to them, and take heed to your teaching. Because when you take heed to both yourself and your teaching, this is what will happen. There will be salvation in the congregation. You will save yourself. That's an astounding statement. And in your teaching, you will save the people. And that makes our Reformed antenna go up and be sensitive because it sounds like salvation then is accomplished by a man. But that's not what the apostle is teaching. Salvation is all in Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. It's all stored up in him. He merited it for us. We merit nothing. Paul now is talking about the tool by which that salvation is given to us. And so important is that tool of preaching that the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Spirit, says that tool is a saving tool. Timothy, preach and teach, because in doing that, you will save yourself. That's amazing. A preacher's salvation is when he hears the word that he needs to preach. And, Timothy, you will be saving the people of God to whom you preach. That's how important is this tool of preaching. Now, if you want to relate Romans and Timothy, it brings out an important point because salvation can be defined in two different ways or looked at from two different points of view. Salvation can be looked at from the point of view of its initial granting And salvation can be looked at from the perspective of its continual granting and bestowal. Someone may ask you, when when were you saved? You may be charitable and answer, I don't know. Or perhaps point to the day when you first came to faith and say, I don't know when God first saved me. I grew up believing. Or, This is the day I remember God finally came to me and broke my heart and turned me from my wickedness to faith in Him. Or this is the year, the month. That's salvation from its initial granting and its beginning. But Paul to and Paul is talking about that in Rome, to the church at Rome, a mission church, bringing the gospel to unbelievers who didn't know Jesus Christ. You need to confess Him, believe with your heart, and then you'll be saved initially. When Paul talks to Timothy, he's speaking about salvation, not in its inception, but its continual granting. And that's what you and I experience every day too. Every day I'm saved. Because every day I receive the grace of salvation. Every day God declares to me forgiveness. And I need to hear that every day. Every day God gives me the strength to bear the burdens that I must bear and to obey the commandments that God gives me to obey. Every day I need the grace to hope that the days to come are going to be good and not doubt. Every day I need all of these blessings that God gives to me. Where do they come from? Where does that salvation come from? Primarily from the voice of God as it's heard in the preaching. A saving power. Timothy, Paul says, take heed to yourself, 
that you are a good example, and that people know that you practice what you preach, and take heed to your preaching, because in doing that you will save the people of God. That's marvelous. We need continual salvation. Now about that, I want you to notice a couple of very important things. Number one, it's the preaching of the Word of God that saves. That doesn't diminish the importance of the reading of the Word of God, but it emphasizes the importance of the preaching of the Word of God. Reread Romans 10 and hear the Apostle Paul saying to the church at Rome, not this, except you have a Bible, you won't hear Jesus, and you need a Bible society to distribute Bibles so that they can learn of Jesus, believe and confess Him. He says, you need to hear Jesus by a preacher that's sent. Very important. And when Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, make sure that everyone has a Bible? No. Make sure that everyone hears a preacher. Yes. And that's an important point to make this morning because people make some very, very serious mistakes when they say, after I've been saved initially, I can just stay home and read my Bible or read good literature. And that's a very, very serious mistake. Or some others perhaps make the mistake of imagining that if they parachute a drop of pallets of Bibles in foreign countries, the reading of those Bibles will be sufficient to save those people. That's not true. What those people need is a preacher of the gospel. Otherwise, they're going to end up in the same way that the, in the same predicament the Ethiopian eunuch ended up in when he was reading in his chariot, remember? In the book of Acts, the book of Isaiah. And God spirited Philip to that chariot who got up into the chariot with that Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch said, I'm reading the Bible, but I don't know what I'm reading. And then Philip explained the gospel to him, and he believed as a result of the preaching of the gospel. Now, we mustn't make an error on the other side either and imagine that the reading of the Bible and reading of good literature is not important either. It is. And for those institutions that parachute drop pallets of Bibles, we say, praise God. And those organizations that distribute good literature that explain the Word of God, we say, praise God. God has used that in our experience many times too, to help the people of God, perhaps to bring them to ask those first questions, because God has, without means, planted the seed of regeneration in them. And then they read and are interested and call for a preacher. We thank God for that. But let's be very careful that we do not imagine that the most important thing is the reading of the Word and we can dispense with the preaching of the Word. That's not true. So that's point number one. The preaching of the gospel saves the people of God. The second thing I want to say in connection with these three texts is that it's the preaching of the gospel that works faith. It's the preaching of the truth 
that saves the people of God. And I need to underline that point by saying not all preaching saves because not all preaching is true preaching. It must be the preaching of the gospel. The gospel. Where do you begin making a point here? Perhaps by saying that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, are we? Paul makes that point in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, talks about the temptations that the church faced and said, and you're, you're not ignorant of the way devil, the devil works, are you? And sometimes I say, but we're sometimes pretty naive about the way the devil works. The way the devil works is by imitating Jesus Christ. Anti-Christ means not only against Christ, but a substitute for Christ. That reminds you that Jesus warned in Matthew 7 that there are going to be wolves coming among you who don't look like wolves because they're dressed in sheep's clothing. Well, that's how the devil works. And so Luther said, in a certain place many years ago, the devil watches very carefully what Jesus does in his church. Jesus creates churches, gathers people. Well, I'll do that too, the devil says. And then he watches how Jesus does that. He does that by the preaching of the word. So the devil says, I need to get my own preachers. And the devil trains his preachers to sound a whole lot like Jesus' preachers. Well, they're in sheep's clothing after all. You're not going to see their fangs and their claws after all, as they say. You're going to think that you see a shepherd or a sheep. But actually, it's going to be a wolf. Keep your ears open to that, for that. And then I remind you how the chapter began that we read this morning. In that important chapter about the importance of preaching and the call to Timothy to preach, What did he say first? Timothy, beware. In the latter days, some shall depart from the faith. They'll give heed to seducing spirits. Think about that word for a moment. What is seductive? Something that lures you into a place where you ought not be lured. They're going to give heed to spirits that seduce you. And they're going to give heed to doctrines of devils. And then he goes on to explain what those doctrines are. You may marry. There are certain foods that you may not eat. Doesn't that sound for all the world like the Roman Catholic Church? But the point is that the devil also has his preachers. And you mustn't listen to every preacher and say, well, they're preaching. And you mustn't be satisfied with simply a man who knows how to speak. Your calling is, as the church of Jesus Christ and ours as a denomination, is to make sure that the men whose hearts are right by the grace of God are trained to open and explain the Holy Scripture because it must be the Scripture that's preached because it's the voice of God that saves So that's the second point. It needs to be the true preaching. And then the third point is that the content of that true preaching is the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ. May I say it one more time? The doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I say that not to poke any of you in the eye, but to remind all of us of the importance of doctrine. And you mustn't say, well, doctrine, I don't like doctrinal preaching. It's dry. It's hard to understand. It's probably just for those who've had a college education. We don't want doctrine. Just preach to us. Paul said to Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. The doctrine. And all doctrine means is teaching. Timothy, you must be a teacher. Be a man who explains in a clear way what the Word of God says. Don't tell jokes. Don't tell stories. Don't tell the people about yourself. Tell them about Jesus. About what Jesus has done. Why Jesus did it. How He accomplished our salvation. And everything around that. Focus on the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Remind the people that the benefits of that sacrifice are the forgiveness of sins, first of all, and everlasting life. And when you do that, expose error. But all of that has to do with teaching. So pray, people of God, that your new minister will be a good teacher. Pray that your new minister will be able, during the week, to open up the Scripture, understand it himself personally, hear God speak to him in his own heart, and then come to you on the Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon, filled with the Word of God, eager to explain to you the saving words that he's heard during the week. And then you and your children will be saved. And don't object when he calls attention to error. Don't say, Pastor, don't criticize other churches. Don't name other people in their errors. Just preach the truth. And you may say that because he was taught by me, but not by me personally. That is my own opinion. He was taught by me and the other professors as we opened up the scripture in 1 Timothy 4 and said, Mr. Geichelar, here are your orders from Jesus. Remember that in the latter days, some shall depart from the faith. Help them, preserve them by teaching about those departures. Teach them, if you go back to 1 Timothy 1, even about names of people who depart from the faith. Hymenaeus, Alexander, I delivered them to Satan so that they would learn not to blaspheme. Paul named names. Sometimes that's important. Paul says, these are the doctrines you must beware of. There are lies that are spoken. There are hypocrites who speak them. Their conscience is seared with a hot iron. And here are a couple of examples. You may marry. Oh, yes, you may. Marriage is honorable. The bed is undefiled. God created marriage for a good purpose. Oh, yes, you may marry. But you're going to hear, perhaps in another setting, preachers tell you that you may marry. Here's another example. There are certain foods that you may eat, and maybe especially on Friday. Oh, yes, you may. Yes, you may. Every 
creature of God is good, nothing to be refused, as long as you receive it with thanksgiving, and you sanctify it by the Word of God in prayer. Here's the mandate from the Bible to read and pray when you eat. 1 Timothy 4, verse 5, sanctify all those gifts by God's Word and prayer. Don't have a meal without reading the Bible and praying. That's how you set apart your meal from the meal of every other alleged Christian or non-Christian. God's Word and prayer. That's the kind of teaching that the minister must be busy with. Exposing the errors that will seduce you to adopt them and depart from the faith. And then preaching the central, beautiful, life-giving faith of our Lord Jesus the Christ. And ministers do that when ministers don't select their own texts helter-skelter and randomly. Well, I'd like to preach this passage this week and another passage the next week, and I like this passage, and no, the minister needs to open up the Word of God and start at a certain place and just plow through it. Preach series through books of the Bible and, or sections of the books of the Bible because that will force him to face those passages that he might not be interested in preaching just because they're controversial, just because they expose error. And maybe his nature is not to expose error, always to be positive, never to name names because he wants to be nice. No, faithfulness to the Word of God is that he preaches the whole counsel of God. Some of those things he likes to preach Others of those things he prays for the grace that he can be faithful to preach. That's going to keep the brethren. That's the preaching of the Word of God. So we come back to the beginning. Faith is so important. How can we be saved from our misery? Answer, faith. We've spent months looking at what faith is. Now we come toward the end of this second section of the catechism and ask the question, where does faith come from? And the simple answer is through the Holy Spirit and the tool that He uses to give that gift of preaching. I end this morning with a call, first of all, for you to pray that God grants faith. Because you can't grant faith and I can't grant faith. And look at your children now sitting next to you the family of faith around you, you want them to believe. I pray that they believe. If you do, then pray for preaching of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then pray for ministers who take heed to themselves and to the teaching, so that by doing that, they may save you and your children. And then pray that maybe that boy or that young man or that older young man may sense the call of the Holy Spirit in his heart to say what many men said. I don't want to be a minister. God, please, not me. But then God came and called them to the ministry. Maybe like Timothy, 
from a broken home whose dad was a Greek and his mom was a Jew and she and her mother taught little Timothy so that little Timothy became a young man and followed Paul and became a preacher. We need ministers. Shall they come from us and this congregation? May God grant it. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word. May it not be the words of a man, but the explanation of the Holy Scripture. And then, Lord, may we hear the voice of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. The sheep hear His voice, and they follow Him. And go in and out and find pasture and rest securely in the gospel that he provides for us, the good news of forgiveness of sins and everlasting life, the good news that there is strength to bear burdens for a long, long time and to obey the commandments when obedience is painful. O God in heaven, save us, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.